APM American Public Media. This is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. I am actually going to tell you your four topics that you are going to do to ensure that you're doing the right ones, because that's the only way that you are going to improve on your weakest standard. Okay. This is the sound of an eighth grade language arts classroom in Mooresville, North Carolina. The teacher here uses data from a computer program to give students real-time feedback about how they're doing with their schoolwork. We visited Mooresville for our upcoming documentary, One Child at a Time, Custom Learning in the Digital Age. Now, the idea of tailoring lessons to meet an individual student's needs isn't new, but it's never been easy to accomplish in diverse public school classrooms. Experts say customization is crucial for all students to succeed. Technology is beginning to help it gain traction. Carol Ann Tomlinson is an expert in what's known as differentiated learning, the idea that one teacher can address the needs of all different levels of learners in the same classroom. Emily Hanford recently interviewed Carol Ann Tomlinson, who is a professor of education at the University of Virginia. This week, we share some excerpts from that interview. Emily started by asking how the idea of differentiation came to be. We used to, in this country and in many other places, of course, have one-room schoolhouses, and the assumption was when students came in, the teacher would determine where a student was, perhaps in reading or math or writing or spelling, and would then begin teaching that student where he or she was with the goal of moving them as rapidly as they could through a sequence of learning. Then we had the idea of developing consolidated schools and decided that it was a great idea to place all seven-year-olds in the same classroom because they'd be essentially alike. But we've created classrooms in which we have an increasingly tight and standardized learning agenda so that all students are supposed to accomplish exactly the same goals under exactly the same circumstances by exactly the same date and demonstrate their learning in exactly the same way. And that sounds really neat on paper, but it's not just exactly a fit for human nature and for the development of young people. Can you just say a little bit more about why we decided to do it that way? Consolidated schools are many decades old now, so perhaps based on our knowledge at that time, it seemed reasonable to say, goodness, if you can get a whole class of seven-year-olds, you have it made there because they'll all be alike. I can't imagine that it took the teacher very long even then to figure out that that wasn't the case. But at that point, many of our students didn't, potential students didn't even go to school. Students dropped out. They stayed and worked on the farm. The further you got in the grades, the fewer of them remained. And even the ones that stayed, for the most part, the idea was to teach you to work really in more of an industrial factory-like setting where you needed to follow instructions but not think a great deal. Families have gotten more complicated and the world for students has gotten more complicated um, and yet we still hang on to that sort of all seven-year-olds or alike system um, that we had a long time ago and have certainly exacerbated that in some way by assuming that the smartest thing we can do is have a single set of learning standards. We've determined that most of our time is to be spent making sure kids cover a prescribed set of standards without regard to where they start and without regard to how far they might be able to go. Um, and, And really everything has become about marching students to that specified end by a specified target date. Okay, so differentiated instruction was a response to these problems that you're describing? The idea of differentiated instruction is really remarkably old. Um, In China, 
people will tell you that there's a Confucian quote that says people differ in their gifts and talents. To teach them, you have to start where they are. There are similar pieces of guidance in the Hebrew scriptures, in Islam, the one-room schoolhouse, differentiated instruction regularly. So to say differentiation is a new thing, and it's a response that has originated in the last few decades is incorrect. It's a struggle that we've had in school forever, is how to deal with kids who do inevitably differ from one another. I would say that the time is right for looking at the ideas of differentiation now, as it has been at other points in our history, because the diversity of students is so huge. And so those principles are ones that most teachers will tell you they understand the need for. It's just very difficult to make change happen in schools, especially since the train is moving so fast all the time. So how would you describe what it was that you were doing with your colleagues? So just give me a little bit of an idea. What were the techniques? What was happening in the class? I taught in public school for 20 years, 21 years before I came to the university. And my colleagues and I discovered fairly quickly that we had a student population that simply didn't allow us to teach to the middle and hope for the best. We had a very bimodal population with a a lot of students who were advanced and a lot of students who were way behind and almost nobody in the middle. So if we chose one thing to do, we missed a, a very significant section of our class. One of the things that is important to think about if you want to differentiate instruction, and it's certainly not the only one, but is an organization issue. We're used to students coming in and sitting down and we start everybody on the same task and when we finish we collect the materials from everyone and we expect everybody to finish the assignment by 10 minutes after 10 and we think we have a problem if somebody didn't quite finish but we generally make them go ahead and turn in the paper anyhow because we're used to sort of a lockstep procedure and one of the things that we figured out to do which I think is still central to this is to say when does it make really good sense for all of us to work together as a class and when is it going to make better sense for students to work independently or in small groups or with me and then to plan the instruction with that coming together and breaking out and coming together and breaking out sort of rhythm as opposed to now where the rhythm is everybody moves together constantly. So it sounds like doing differentiation well takes a lot of skill and practice. I think most teachers differentiate something to some degree. It's almost impossible to live in a classroom if you don't. Most teachers differentiate in a way that I would call reactive differentiation when they give a student a task and they see it's not a good fit. If the student's struggling, they try to explain a little more real quickly. If the student's advanced, they try quickly to find something else for the student to do. Teaching's a very complex thing, even if you're not attending to student differences. So to learn how to do it in a multifaceted and thorough way that um, adheres to what we believe to be the best practices of teaching is complex. But like most other complex things, you can work your way there. I would imagine that there's, like, even now as we're going through lots of budget cuts in schools and class sizes have been documented to be going up and there are teachers who have 30 kids or 35 kids, is there a limit to which differentiation is even possible? If you have a class of 40 kids, can you really do it? You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I, if you have one child and you see a family with 12 children, you think, how do they do that? I couldn't begin to do that. If you have 
12, you might think it was really challenging if you had 16, you know. We learned to do what we mean to do, I think. And we have almost no evidence, unfortunately, that if teachers get class sizes that are greatly reduced, that they immediately start to work better with student differences. So I think it's, in a way, a lot like managing a family that's larger. If you have an only child, you can do much more for that child. If you have eight children, they're going to have to learn to do more for themselves. But you can still guide what that is and work as a team. And that sense of being in a community and the sense that errors are part of learning and you move on from those and do it in a richer way, those things all lead us to an environment in which the brain really appears to be freer to learn. We have a fair sense at this point from neuroscience, which we've had for a long time from psychology, that students don't learn when work is consistently too hard for them or consistently too easy. The curriculum needs to be something that's worth the kid getting out of bed for in the morning. There really is nothing particularly hard about the principles of differentiation. The really hard part is changing the habits you've had for a very long time. You know, it's not particularly difficult to understand what you need to do to exercise more. All you have to do is walk or what you need to do to improve your diet. All you need is pick up a few more carrots in the grocery store. But it is so much easier to keep doing what you've always done and what's comfortable. So the issue is seldom in schools that an initiative itself is terribly hard. It's changing your habits, changing those patterns, and changing them while 30 students are around you. And while there are pressures from every side um, to call on you to do um, a myriad of new things all the time. It's interesting because so I've been at some schools that are doing what they call personalized learning. And one of the things that several teachers have said to me is that they've learned about differentiation in graduate school and their teacher training or whatever. And they tried to do it. And, and they feel like this personalization thing that with having technology as an aid is sort of a way that they can actually finally do differentiation. Yes. Um, I've seen folks talk about flipping classrooms and talk about the same thing there. The idea is that if you flip the classroom, student does the work at home and brings it in, and then the teacher can see where a particular student is and move from there. And I think there's no doubt that technology has a great role that it can play in that way. An interesting thing to ponder, though, Again, if what you did as a teacher was to say, I'm going to flip the classroom and then tomorrow 30 students will bring in homework and I'm going to monitor where all 30 are in a meaningful way and address the needs of all 30. Um, I think, again, you would have to use some differentiation to do that. You know, if you have 42 minutes and 30 kids in a secondary classroom, it's going to take something pretty supernatural to instantly know where the kid is from that, make the plans on the spot, and move forward. You can sort of see where the student is that you're bending over, and you can kind of coach them a little bit right there. But to get that big picture and move it to the next day and the next day is a different thing. I think if a teacher could send home a task for kids to do and meaningfully look at it when it came back and understand what that says about where students are in a trajectory of learning and what you might need to teach backwards because the student's just completely lost, not just to fix today's assignment, but to really fix that reading problem, to really address the second language issue, to really help a student not just say, okay, you got today's right, go ahead and wait till tomorrow, but you're doing this so well that I need to move you ahead. To do that, I think, probably is a blending of what we'd call personalization and differentiation. And technology can help with that, but technology, I think we're a long way from technology 
completely subsuming the role of the teacher. Well, certainly the problem that you describe, which is if you flip the classroom and you send 30 kids home with an assignment and they bring 30 pieces of work back, the claim, the practice out there, is that technology can assist in that assessment, you know, can get a teacher a quicker something yes. to work with. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the case. Um, and so technology right now, for the most part, and there are probably exceptions to this, but much of what we have with technology is something that can give a student a skill to work with and diagnose where the student is on a skills continuum and project the next skill that the student needs. In terms of assessing students' real understanding, can that student transfer something, can they create something with it, do they make a connection between the idea that we're studying in this history unit and that same idea in the previous three units we've been in, we don't yet have technology that has huge facility with that. Those were excerpts from Emily Hanford's interview with Carol Ann Tomlinson, a professor of education at the University of Virginia. The interview is part of our upcoming documentary, One Child at a Time, Custom Learning in the Digital Age. You can find more podcasts about customization in the classroom and a range of issues in K-12 and higher education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, the Lumina Foundation, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.